On today's episode, what to focus on during the off-season. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. We have another submitted question as I'm getting through these. Uh, We have one from Alyssa who asks, what should I focus on during the off-season one year before a marathon? First of all, love this question. Um, Love, Alyssa, that you're looking long-term. You know, some people go race to race, you know, month to month and deal with all their injuries along the way (laughs) and just want to get to the next race, do whatever it takes, do whatever it takes. But, you know, rarely do I suggest doing that for runners. I think, yes, we do like living in the heat of the moment. Um, It's sort of what we do naturally as humans. But if you have an Achilles injury and you're like, oh, let me just get to this race and let me just see how I feel. And you do all you can and then injury gets worse but you're just determined, headstrong, stubborn, (laughs) some might say, to get to that race. And then all of a sudden you're looking at the next race. Well, managing that injury is not going to go well for you long-term. But um, the same thing could be said for performance. You know, you want to have an off-season. You want to have some downtime. You want to lay a foundation to then peak at the best time. That's why, you know, elite athletes, they have a peak season or peak part of that um, their A race, some might call it, um, just because you need some of that downtime. And so love that we're looking and forecasting ahead, looking one year ahead to a marathon and say, what should I do right now to give myself the best chance for success? What should I focus on? Um, this was submitted during one of the Q and A's that I ask for, um, across you run smarter scholars across all the socials. And this one was too good to pass up Um, for a solo episode. And so I've pieced together a fair few things, um, pieced together sort of what a year out looks like, a couple of ideas I've put together, what six months out looks like, what three to four months out looks like, um, just as you prepare and get closer to your race or a marathon in this example. And the first thing that I think about when you're looking at something 12 months away is, okay, let's build a foundation. Let's build out, you know, this layer to make you more resilient and unshakable when it comes to racing performance and reducing your risk of an injury as you train for that marathon. 
And how we do that, we need to identify what your weak links are. Once we identify your weak links, we can then strengthen those weak links in whatever fashion that might be. So um, that advice is a little bit more tailored to you, but you could just look back on, say, what the previous 12 months has been like and try not pick out some of those weak links. A history of injuries is a perfect example because a running-related injury is an overuse injury. For the vast majority of them, it is some sort of training error or some external load that exceeds the capacity of that particular joint. If you got that overload injury from running, say increasing your mileage or increasing your speed or increasing the amount of hills, um, you know, I kind of see it in a way, it's overly simplistic, but I see it in a way as every tendon, ligament, bone, joint has a certain capacity. And if you overtrain, the body's going to choose your weakest link for that injury to manifest itself. There's a lot of nuances in there, but if we can think about it simplistically this way, um, you don't know where your weak link is until you overtrain and your body tells you, oh, it's actually your left knee. Um, especially when it comes to running, because running is just um, the, the sport that we're going to continue doing. If you do a hit class and you do a lot of lunges and, and your knee is sore, it's not necessarily your weakest link for running, but if running and marathons are the things that we want to do and you get an overuse injury from running, then we really need to pay attention to that weak link because that is your weak link when running. And so it might be your plantar fascia, it might be your Achilles, might be your calf, might be your ITB, knee, hip, you name it. So have a look back over your previous history over the last six months, maybe 12 months, and see what injuries are popping up. Is there one type of injury that keeps surfacing every time you sort of mismanage your body? Is there multiple injuries or multiple areas, locations that pop up every now and then? Um, can you point it to something that you sort of need to work on? Is there a behavior, a trait, um, terrain? Is there something within your train that keeps those injuries popping up? So we're looking for a bit more insight here. We're looking at, oh, every time I introduce hills, an injury will flare up. Well, maybe hills are your weak link. Every time you increase your speed, oh, my body falls apart every time I increase speed. Well, maybe it's just the speed, like the introduction of speed that is your weak link. Or maybe the strategy that you have for introducing hills and speed needs some adjustment. So reflecting on those, reflecting on what those weak links are. If you have an Achilles tendinopathy that always appears every time you exceed a certain amount of mileage per week, well, then we know, you know, that Achilles is a particular weak link and you can do some strengthening to build it up, to layer in that foundation. And we do that with proper rehab. So once you identify that weak link, you need to layer on some proper rehab to, to prevent this thing from coming up. I kind of have this idea. It's <clears throat> a bit too, like it's overly ambitious, but have the idea to get that weak link and make it your strongest link possible. And we do that through rehab and we do that through um, 
a proper structure throughout your running. So building up the mileage safely, introducing speed work, introducing hills, doing all that safely and making you adapt to all those things. So you become robust and can, you know, adapt to a whole bunch of different stimuli. But what some people do is say, oh, nah, speed work. Every time I do speed work, my Achilles flares up. So I just avoid it altogether. Then you're leaving yourself some vulnerabilities you're not layering a foundation. You're not creating a strong, resilient foundation. You're just retreating to safety and sort of keeping that weak link in your armor. And so rehab, proper rehab, progressive rehab is really important for those who have injuries over the past six, 12 months, which let's be honest, it's most of us. And you need to work on that and make your weakest link your strongest link. And then we can look ahead to this marathon that you've got coming up. So really important. Um, Say for an Achilles, you could do really heavy eccentric calf raises, build that up. Once you do that for several weeks, we can then continue doing that, but then incorporate some explosive like concentric calf raises. So we're looking at doing slow heel drops, then doing... um, like your standard kind of heel raise, but doing that with heavy load, then transitioning to something more like pogo jumps, then doing some jump rope intervals, then doing some faster running, then doing some really fast running, then doing some hill sprints. And then we're just layering on top one after another, something that's a little bit more complex and something that's a little bit more functional or a little bit looks more like what your goal is, which is run a marathon. So that's just the Achilles for an example, but you can use your plantar fascia, your ITB, your knee, like all of that is, it, that's just exactly what it is. It's just layering one on top of the other. And then your confidence sort of builds up along the way. So using that example of someone who's really shy, shies away or retreats to safety when it comes to speed work. Well, now you're like, you know what? I, I am strong. I can tackle this. And that will just carry over to your speed work in your training sessions because if you want to run the best marathon possible, you're going to have to do some speed work. And that would be um, what we would consider. So one year out, my first tip, identify your own personal weak links, be honest with yourself, and then come up with a plan to layer a nice, strong foundation. Number two is strength training. So you can strength train twice a week, you can do, um, it can be simplistic, but needs to be progressive. So when I say simplistic, I mean, you know, double leg calf raises with a bent knee, um, squats, lunges, and step ups, or what did I say? Lunges, calf raises, squats, deadlifts, those four. Um, let's, so that's simplistic, but progressive would be, okay, taking those four exercises and slowly building upon um, the weights or um, maybe upping the reps a little bit to 12, then increasing the weight, dropping back down to six to eight and slowly just working within that rep range and doing that twice a week. Nice and simplistic, but this would depend on everyone. Like if we're talking about what we should focus on in the off season, if you have never done strength training before, then add that in get good at it, get used to the technique. Um, if you're already doing strength training twice a week and you're you know, quite progressive with it in nature, 
you've got the idea to slowly add more weight, then you don't need to focus on this. You just need to continue doing what you're doing. But why I say this a year out is because this needs to be in everyone's running programs. If you have marathons, marathon ambitions, you should be doing some sort of strength training. And that should just be inbuilt for years to come. It's not just in certain particular phases of training. And so if you're not doing it, then work on a deadlift technique. Do it with really light weight. Work on your squat technique. Make sure you've got the range of movement and the quality of movement. And once you're proficient with that movement, then start adding on the weights. Make sure you're safe with those progressions. Um, If you start developing some like low back stiffness or tightness, then make sure your technique's okay. Allow the body to adapt to that movement before you add weights. I say this because... You know, strength training is really important. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. When it comes to injury prevention, it's really important when it comes to running performance. It's just going to be an integral part of your training, so needs to be implemented. We then have the third, which is trying to see if you need to enhance your recovery, something to do with your recovery. Um, That's not necessarily that you're training hard now and need to recover because this is the off-season, but you can work at improving the quality of your recovery right now if you're not ticking the boxes. So for that, I say sleep and stress management would be in that um, in that category. Let's talk about sleep. So if you're not a good sleeper and you've got a marathon coming up, you could be getting away with poor sleep and not realize it. Your mileage could be quite low and you could be recovering well from your current training load. You only need to recover as hard as your training. And so your training might be low now. And so you could have a suboptimal recovery strategy and get away with it. It's not going to reveal itself until you're running high mileage and all of a sudden you start breaking down. But what you could do now is implement something to help with your sleep so that you are ready for when that training load increases. Like I say, your recovery needs to match your training load. Um, where pe- some people that train for marathons and ultras and they say, oh, I can't get beyond 50 kilometers a week. Otherwise I start breaking down. And then you ask about their nutrition and their stress and their sleep and it's suboptimal. And it's say, well, you know, you need to recover. If you want to train hard, you need to recover hard. And right now it seems like 50 kilometers per week is your sort of tipping point where all of a sudden you're not getting the recovery you're after. And you start getting sore, start getting like lethargic, all that's all those sort of symptoms of uh, under recovery, and you start getting injured. So you could work on, um, well, it depends on why you're not getting a lot of sleep, but there's a lot of strategies around there. You could do some meditation, you could go to bed earlier, you could do some naps, you could keep a cool, dark room, maybe work on that, maybe a more comfortable sleeping position or a pillow or, you know, just tailor it for you because everyone has different or some people are good sleepers but if you're a poor sleeper why are you a poor sleeper look into that and 
work on that. That's, you know, for general health, you should be sleeping well. I know I struggle with sleep. Um, it's probably something that it's been going on for several years and I know that's a weak link of mine. And whenever I have several days of not sleeping too well, um, I just won't train as hard. I won't run as far and until I'm back to sleeping quite well. Um, and when I say that, like I'm in bed for about eight and a half hours, sometimes nine hours, but I think I'm getting like in terms of my total sleep time, it's probably seven and a half hours, maybe eight, maybe eight and a half on a good night. So that's good. It's not horrible, but I know that it's suboptimal for me. And what I do, I know why I don't sleep. It's when I have, when I'm really excited about something like the, the downside of me running my own company and having this podcast and having, uh, this YouTube channel and all those sorts of things is I'm excited. I'm excited about the business ideas that I have and where to take it. I'm excited about the growth that I'm seeing and, you know, where I want to take this. I love every single moment and I absolutely love what I do, but I'm just so excited. And like, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and have ideas and I'll write them down. And, but for the most part, when I wake up and it's 5am, I'm kind of like, waiting for it to get to 6am because I'm excited to start the day. It's essentially what it is, which is, you know, stupid to think and hilarious to think about now, but that's essentially what it is. And, um, I really struggle with that. So what I do is if I wake up and it's 4.30 and I'm like, Oh God, um, I'm at that in that zone where I'm like excited to get up and start the day. I'll recognize that and say, okay, we need to calm ourselves down. We need to calm down that mental mind. And so I'll listen to some meditation apps. I'll listen to some yoga nidra or I'll listen to, um, there's a podcast I listen to where they just tell sleep stories and sort of distracts me from the, the working day or what to do or, you know, what to work on or ideas. And I sort of calm myself down, breathe, um, distract. And sometimes I fall asleep, but sometimes I just sit there for 45 minutes or lay there for 45 minutes, just in a really calm state and, you know, I get out of bed feeling a little bit more refreshed than if I were to lay in bed for an hour plus thinking about the day. So recognize that within myself and definitely work on it. I'm trying to, it's definitely helped my, like my sleep now is so much better than what it was last year or the year before that. Um, only cause I've put in that work and, um, implemented those strategies. So you could do the same, um, stress management. I don't have any, <clears throat> um, that's not something I can pull uh, an example from, but about to have a kid. So, you know, that might change very quickly. Um, in terms of like negatively affect, like negative stress, I don't seem, I don't really think I'm that much of a stressful person, but for you, if um, work's getting to you or family dramas, you know, that can really impact your recovery. So again, coming up with some strategies, coming up with some mental strategies, calming strategies, breathing exercises um, to help with that or just rethinking those stressful situations in a different way so that you're not um, ruminating or, you know, focusing on certain things. I think once you cover your sleep and your stress management to the best of your ability, then you'll be able to train harder and be able to recover faster. So 
there's some things that you can focus on a year out. So we've got strengthening your weak links, strength training, and enhancing your recovery. Nutrition would probably be the fourth one. We can um, recover if, well, you can just analyze, analyze your diet, analyze what you're doing. We have a Q&A coming up with um, Stephanie Natchek, which she's appeared on before. And even just this morning was when I recorded that, that episode and it'll be out in, I think, one, two, three weeks. So um, looking at nutrition for recovery, looking at nutrition for fuel. Um, the fuel side of things is probably when you get into your the peak of your training. But if you're suboptimal with your habits, I guess, um, it doesn't need to be strict, doesn't need to be anything, but just have a, a bit of a, just analyze your diet and say, okay, might need to make some adjustments here and there. Uh, that's something you could definitely work on. And then it becomes a habit. And then, you know, when it comes, make sure it's a, a sustainable solution. Like I say, we're not trying to restrict eating or come up with absolutes. Um, we're just sort of making slight tweaks here and there to get you in a better state and lay a better foundation for the marathon training. Um, if you do need adjustments on your training intensity distribution, so I know this is a problem for a lot of you, um, 80% of your entire running should be dedicated to very, very easy running, leaving 20% to be that upper limits to sort of test out and your capabilities. That's a generic rule, for, but it, it works really well for most. And so if that's not you, test it out. That should be a foundation thing that you do for years. So make sure that's instilled into you. Make sure you learn to run easy because easy running is like a skill. Make sure you develop that skill and then make sure you layer out that 80-20 balance because you're going to need that. You're going to need that a year out. You're going to need that in your training. You're going to need that after your race. So if that's not in check, make sure that's addressed. Okay, we're six months out now. So we've covered sort of 12 months away, laying layer of foundation, what we should work on. Now we're getting sort of closer and I've just got a few other ideas here. Two, two ideas. Um, train for speed. So, you know, speed takes time and a lot of people shy away from speed. Uh, like those injury examples I said before, some people really are apprehensive because they think it might um, bring up some of their injuries. It could resurface a lot of their injuries. But usually that's the case because their speed work, their starting point is too much or their progressions are too much. And so if you're a runner who's very vulnerable to speed work, you're now six months out. So <laughs> you've got plenty of time just to start gradually and progress slowly it's could be just strides that's how i like to introduce speed for someone who's never done speed or has done speed in a long time or if we want to test out a running injury and see how it's tolerated i just start with strides once a week you know um i've done an episode with claire bartholic on strides if you want to go into the details of why it's so beneficial and exactly how to execute on that but i start with four repeats and the top speed that you generate in those four repeats is about 75% of your max sprint. So short, sharp stuff and see how you feel. Next time you can do six repeats. Then you can do eight. Then you can drop down to say five repeats and 
increase the top speed to 80% or 85% of your max sprint and just slowly trickle that in. Then once you've tolerated six weeks of that, then we can start doing some interval training. So one minute on, one minute off, five times at a RPE of seven. You know, these are just generic numbers and generic progressions, but, you know, you start gradually, you progress sensibly and pay attention to your body and just build up from there. The other tip that I had about six months out is to train your gut. Train your gut to tolerate carbs or food or, you know, sustenance before you're running, after you're running, that sort of stuff. I'm not too sure how long it really takes. It probably takes less than six months, but, you know, you're going to be building up your training program soon. So if you're one who always runs fasted, someone who doesn't really have much intake, if you start training for a marathon where your mileage is going to jump up quite high and some of your speed workouts will be quite intense, you need your fuel. Going back to recovery, you you have nutrition for recovery and you also have nutrition for, for fuel. And for some people who run fasted and um, you, you're going to need some food. You don't want to get to marathon day and then say, oh, what do I eat for breakfast? Oh, what should I have in the middle of the run? Um, because... I want to perform. It's just not going to work that way. Your gut's not going to be trained. Um, I talk about this a little bit with Steph Natchek, and we talked about it a little bit the first time she was on. But, you know, forecast your mind. Think, okay, what what foods should I trial? What foods should I have for my race day um, during my run? <clears throat> and just train your gut because I've seen a lot of people take carb gels mid-race and their gut is just not pleased and they just don't react well to it. It's only because they just haven't trained their body to contain that food or absorb that food and they suffer the consequences. For the performance side of things, it can destroy your race day. Um, So look ahead. If you are used to eating a breakfast and then going for a run, then you're on the right track. You probably don't need to focus on this six months out because it is quite a while. But if you do want time to sort of train your body to do that, um, <clears throat> it is something that is quite vital. And so, yeah, make sure you pay attention. Then we have looking for something that's three to four months out. So we've gone, we've started at 12 months, gone to about six months, and now we're sort of approaching three to four months. This is the time when you start your training plan. So three to four months out, you've got your marathon. Um, some people have a 12 to 16 week marathon training plan, which is pretty standard. So now we're approaching that time. I would say this is where you'd focus on setting your goals. So you kind of need goals because col- the goals keep you in the right direction. If you have a goal, it increases your likelihood to succeed compared to those who don't have goals. Um, you can make it more fun. You can make it challenging. You can have these mini goals and you just want the whole process to, um, you know, be a little bit more fun. And if you set these little mini goals and you have that roadmap in, in place, it's not just this grueling training sessions, these long runs, and you have to get up early in the morning. Um, you know, I think setting those goals are really, really important and you do it three to four months out because you can then look back over the last six months and say, okay, how did my off-season go? 
How was my sleep? How was my strength training? How did I go training my gut? How did I go introducing speed? And then you can sort of, if all of that went really well, then you can lay out some expectations for the goals that you set. Maybe you can lay a foundation. Maybe a PB is you're setting yourself up for that PB, or maybe you need to be a bit more realistic. Um, But setting those goals was really important. I think this time frame is a good chance to do that. Um, but also you want to plan for and focus on some contingencies or flexibility within your training. And I say that because, you know, some people start a 12 week marathon training plan and they do it 12 weeks out from the marathon and they run into, you know, they go have to go traveling for business or they get unwell or they get injured and, they have to stop running for one or two weeks and then they're not sure what to do from there. There's like no kind of middle ground. They either need to, you know, continue training at the week. They skip they skip the one to two weeks and then just resume as in um, two, two weeks ahead and that's too abrupt and then they get injured. Or they try and catch up. They try and accelerate and catch up the process and sometimes that leads to injury. Um, People aren't sure what to do. So you need to have some contingencies in place. You need to have some wiggle room. I like to add some like buffer weeks. It's like two to three buffer weeks. That way, when these things pop up, you've got extra weeks to sort of play around with. Um, But also the flexibility. So, you know, these training plans aren't rigid. They shouldn't be rigid because you need to adapt to your unique circumstances and some unexpected things that do happen. You know, you swap your long run around. You can do maybe take a a recovery week if needed, maybe have a week off if needed, but you just sort of play around with the contingencies and flexibilities if things pop up. So that's about three to four months out. And hopefully if you've done everything that I've listed in this episode, then you're laying, you layer on a really nice foundation. You're feeling strong. You're feeling fit. You've so it seems like you covered most bases. I know there's probably several important things that I haven't covered. Um, so much to talk about with this topic, but hopefully I've laid down the important ones and at least got you to identify, oh, maybe I do need to improve my sleep or maybe I can make some slight adjustments in my nutrition or change how my gut responds to food, um, habits in training, those sorts of things. Um, hopefully it's created some insights. Hopefully it's helped to answer your question, Alyssa. Hopefully you've been okay or you know um, happy with this response and yeah I think there's a lot to take away so if you do have a marathon coming up um, if it is a year away um, you can start layering these but even if it's six months away there's probably a lot to learn and if you do have a marathon in two months time well there's always going to be another marathon in the future and so you can learn from this one find the weak links adjust plan and get bigger and better for the next one. So that's all for this episode. Um, Next week we have, let me go through my list. Uh, We have a success story and it's a real interesting, compelling one. It's actually coming from a doctor. So um, looking forward to bringing you that one. And as I sign off, remember every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons. 
who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.